Take your Bible and turn to, guess where? Titus chapter 3. If you're new with us today, it might be helpful to know that we uh, pick a book of the Bible and uh, we walk through it seeking to pull out what the original author was saying and then apply it to our lives. So um, sometime back, we uh, began studying through the pastoral epistles. Now, remember, these were the last words of the Apostle Paul, vitally important to us. And so we did 1 Timothy and chronologically now Titus. And then uh, if we ever get through with Titus, we'll uh, jump into the, the last writing, the last letter of the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy. And uh, as part of that, we sometimes park for a little bit on a subject that perhaps is uh, uh, one that needs emphasis. And uh, so I have sensed that we have been there for the last three weeks. Hopefully, we finish this week uh, talking about regeneration, being born again. What is regeneration? And today, some practical applications. It's all been practical. The Word of God is very practical. But um, uh, today we will end it with some ways of looking at ourselves and asking the question, this, this is so important, am I born again? How do I know? Are there biblical evidences, signs, marks that I am born again? The answer is yes. So we'll be looking at those today. We read one verse, Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he saved us. Think about that. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. And how did He do it? By the washing, the bath of regeneration, being born again, and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that we can marvel at these words, those of us whom you knew from the foundation of the world, for whom you sent Christ, our Lord and Savior, and then in time through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, you stirred our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. You caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Father, as we will say in just a few moments, we're not what we want to be or ought to be, but thank you, Lord, that for those of us who have walked with you, you have continued to renew us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we look today at your word, and we're excited to see what you have for us. I say excited for those of us who are born again, to be encouraged by these vital signs that we know, we see in our own lives. But Lord, I pray that today to some, please, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would use this as a word of warning, um, a word of caution, that today is the day of salvation, and we never need to put that off, cry out to you that we too might be born again. So, Father, help us now as we study. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There's so many issues around you that you must deal with daily, and I I, I seem to read this. This is a constant refrain from not only Christian 
authors and, and people who are writing today, but also secular people in the news that we are watching an entire civilization disintegrate. And then you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, and many of you raising a family, you wonder to yourself, how am I to respond to this? How am I to lead my family through this mess? The answer is not through what some people might call culture building. The answer is not through winning a so-called culture war. As incredible as it may sound to people out there, Paul the Apostle reminds Titus, now get a picture of this, we live in a Cretan culture, right? Every bit is bad, maybe worse, I don't know, maybe the one that, that, that the church there that, that Titus was pastoring, maybe that was worse, I don't know. But the one answer he gives to believers is found in this chapter, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And we've talked about this, we've, we've taken this apart and put it back together. Remind them, Paul tells Titus, remind them. Paul is telling me to remind you, heritage, to be submissive to rulers. Whoa, wait a minute, is that an answer? That's the answer that the Apostle Paul gives, remind them. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward how many people? Even the ones we just despise? To all people. Why? We've already talked about that too. Because we were just like them. In our status, in our identity, in the way that we fleshed out what we lived like. We ourselves were once just as foolish as they, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days. I, I, I thought about this even as I was reading it again this last week, going through your day and nobody can see inside what's happening. Isn't it something that a lot of people around us, maybe we are doing that too, but as we're going through our work-a-day, work-a-week day, that we are passing that day inwardly churning with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And then we jump back to chapter 1, verse 16. A mark of the Cretans was that they were detestable for every good work. So how do we get from there to where we're supposed to be? I'm going back and obviously reviewing. Is it even possible? Well, with God it is because, again, look back at verse 5, He does a miracle of regeneration. And then He continues that miracle with the renewing daily of our mind by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. Let's go back and define this again. What is regeneration? What does it mean to be born again? First of all, look, look at the text. 
Where does it come from? Not from us. Right? We saw that. It flows from the mercy of God. It is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, and none of us can truly get inside the mind and the activity of God, but somehow, miraculously, He takes a dead sinner and He transforms him or her into a child of God. Not only that, He gives you, if you have been born again, regenerated, He has given you everything you need to live a life that will please Him. It's being born again. It's a miracle. Let me ask you a question. One of the good things about, I've mentioned this before, I I love teaching on Wednesday nights to third and fourth graders, and I'm, I'm always trying to think of What kind of illustration can I use to help them understand? So, we've talked about this. Let me ask you a question. I think my third and fourth graders will know the answer to this. Let's see if you adults can do as well. Can a rock become a living person? Well, not in the normal course of things. Somebody might say, wait, 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 didn't God take a pile of dirt and make a man? Yeah, well, okay, that's true. Or don't evolutionists believe that, yeah, a rock through the miracle of time can become a person? Yeah, they actually believe that. But, but, but really, all things being equal, can a rock become a living person? And yet this is, listen, this is exactly the miracle that God does when He regenerates you. I don't care how old or young you are or how long you've gone to church or how many verses you have memorized or how many, in your mind, good things you have done. If you're outside of Christ, those are not good works. You can't do them. But if you are not in Christ, a rock is what describes your heart right now. And all of the people you see when you meet them on a daily basis and they've got a, I'm not talking about the, 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 the organ that pumps blood and, and, and is a muscle and all the rest of that. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. And God takes, look at this. He says, look, when I, when I do a miracle, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to take away your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a living heart. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh, and then we go back and remind ourselves that parallels of what we just read, where he says, by the washing of regeneration, being born again. Are you born again? Have you been regenerated? Read an interesting, several interesting articles, comments on this. 
One of those was the, the history of this country. And in fact, some of you are aware that in the early 1700s, there was a revival, a true revival, known as the Great Awakening. And in that revival, God did so many miracles of, of, of dead people dead in their trespasses and sins becoming children of God. And do you know, it's much different than it is today, do you know that in those days, and I'll put in parentheses, if you lament the lack of church attendance today, I hear people talk about that, declining numbers and the church is dying. Do you know that in the early 1700s, between 70 and 80% of the population went to church? Well, so how could a great awakening happen? Because the majority of those people in church had never been regenerated, had never been born again. Do you know what the theme of the preachers who came over from England, like Whitfield and Wesley and others within this country, Jonathan Edwards, do you know what their theme was? You must be born again. Does that have ramifications for the local church? Some of you have been in this kind of situation. I was talking to a, a, a young man, a friend of mine, knew him when he was just newlywed, and he's a deacon in a major church in another state, in another city, and he called me a while back, and, and he wanted my, my prayer and, and my counsel because they are going through a situation. And when I read that a minute ago, avoid quarreling, speak evil of no one, show courtesy to all people, they've got a group of their leaders, the deacons, they don't have elders, a group of their deacons are fighting among themselves. One group wants to run the pastor off. The, I, do they have reasons? I, I, don't, I don't know. But the issue is, and I stepped back and I started thinking, we can't look inside, we can't judge or condemn, but I wondered to myself how many of those leaders, like back in the 1700s, are unregenerate. Do you know why you, if, if you join this church, you go through a process? You go to our Membership Matters class, you learn about our church, and, and then you meet with an elder to share your testimony. Do you understand why? Do you understand why that's so important? They're not there to judge your words or anything like that, but to help you to ask the question: Am I in Christ? And it's not just so that the church will will, will run smoothly. It's it's for your own good. Are you born again? One of the saddest things is when churches are made up of unregenerate people. So how do you know for sure? Well, a month ago as I began to study this, I came across several very helpful articles and I thought I've got to use one of these by a, a, an old preacher, he's long dead, named J.C. Ryle. Believe it or not, he was an Anglican. Can we learn anything from an Anglican? Yeah. At least J.C. Ryle, you sure could. And he wrote a classic article. That's the reason I 
I, I looked at it. I already had it in my files, but, but looked at it. And he wrote a, a classic article on regeneration. And I, I encourage you to get that and, and look at it. And he writes like they did back in the late 1800s. Um, but it, it is worth your reading. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a lot of what he says, some other people. I'm going to look, and I'm going to do, uh, in each of these, I've done a personal study of the passages. And I'm going to give you today, what it, wh- what's it number on your outline? How many are there? One, two, one, two, three, four, five. Give, he gave a lot more. But here's my goal in doing this. And and here's what you need to know first before we jump into these. Go through five today. Five marks, five signs, five realities. Now, what I discovered when I went through each of these verses was this. And here's where we sometimes get into trouble in trying to apply it. These, these statements are all, I'm going to use an, an English term here, they're indicatives. They are not imperatives. Okay, I'm getting some blank stares. An indicative is a statement of what is. It's not telling you what to do. And so sometimes instead of saying, guys, If this is true, if you are born again, then this, indicative, this is true. It's not, if you're born again, then do this so you can whatever. Because we know that to be born again, you have to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. It is first a matter of being and then doing and so, with that, do, do you, does that make sense? Do you understand that, what I'm saying? So that you'll know, I'm not telling you what to do so you can be born again. If you are born again, these are marks or signs of your life to one degree or another. Okay, I've said it three times now. I, I'm really, really trying to make a point because we go back to the classic words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote, and, and this is across the board to everybody. You can jump back and forth from Old Testament to New Testament, and it's going to beautifully dovetail and tell the same story. If anyone is in Christ, let's say it another way. If anyone is born again, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So let's jump into it. Well, shall we? Okay. Number one, everyone who has been born again believes that Jesus is the Christ. It says this in John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born again. This is basic. You know what this has to do with? And, and uh, I, I've rearranged some of Ryle's ways of doing it. And I put this one first because this has to do with our assurance. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. If you're really saved, 
but I will do everything within my power to tell you what God's Word says to make you doubt a false sense of salvation that you do not possess. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. But this has to do with our basic salvation. This has to do with our assurance. This has to do that with the fact that if we have met Jesus, truly met him, look, I, I, if you're out on Kilpatrick Turnpike and you're in the south, I mean the, the westbound lane, and, and there's an eastbound semi coming toward you and you happen to collide, one of you is going to change directions. Guess which one it is? So everyone who has been born again believes that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the only Messiah. He is the only Christ, that he is the only Lord. Now here's the thing, let's take another step. You not only believe it, listen to me, you not only believe it up here, you have, you have received that into your heart. It has become real to you. You have made that personal. There are a lot of people who believe that there was a man named Jesus and even that he was virgin born or that he was a great teacher or even that he did miracles, but they stop short of believing in Jesus as Messiah. And that's why the preaching of the apostles was so crystal clear. You've got to believe only in Jesus, no one else, Christ alone. God has made him both Lord and Savior or Christ and then Paul, writing again to the Corinthian church, said, No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I grew up in church, thankfully. I heard the gospel faithfully preached every week. I've shared a little bit of that with you. And, and the preacher I grew up under was not as mild-mannered as I am. He, I, you know, I, I use, and it's, it's really almost true. He didn't feel like he had preached unless at the end of the sermon he was hoarse. You know what I mean? And, and he'd taken his jacket off and loosened his tie because those were in the days when you wore a suit. And, and his pant legs were, were dragging the, the, the floor. And he was sweating, and, and he, was, he was appealing. I don't remember a lot of what he said, the content, but I do remember he asked over and over again, are you born again? Are you born again? And at the age of 11, I'd been under conviction for a, a long time. And, and there's a difference between... Conviction and guilt. I'd been under Holy Spirit conviction. And that day, I, I would have told you it happened like this. I was under conviction. Finally, I worked up the courage to walk down to the front of the church and repent of my sins. I think it had already happened in me. I was just giving, giving foot to what had happened in my heart. And I'd been born again. I had exercised that repentance and faith, and I cried out to God, and I was saved. 
and there's been a whole lot of renewal up and down since the time I was 11, but I got this point. I got this point because I was truly, I believe, born again, even though I've doubted it because of the life that I lived after that, that there is salvation in no one else. So I'll ask the question, are you born again? I'm not talking about your lifestyle right now. Do you believe that Jesus really is the only way to get to God? Do you believe to the point that you have taken that into your life personally? And however you view the order of these events happening, that you have been born again, that you have believed and repented, and that God has saved you and put you into Christ and taken you on the journey to sanctification, which you pursue every day. And I'm convinced that I, I've learned a lot about Jesus through the years. I'm convinced that we will learn about Jesus through eternity and still never exhaust everything there is to know about him. But the key question that grows out of this first point, are you born again? Second thing, let's look at it. No one born again makes a practice of sinning. And this is really two different verses. Again, this is indicative. This is not imperative. This is not something uh, that, that should be. This is. No one who is born of God makes a practice of sinning. 5.18, the first part of that says, he does not keep on sinning. If you are in Christ, if you've been born of God, you do not make a practice of sinning. Do you? This is stunning. And frankly, it's difficult to most Christians. And frankly, what we will do is soften. Rather than just let this phrase stand on its own. And what is the reason why we try to, we try to wiggle out of the reality of what that verse says? Why? Because we still sin. And there, there's a difference, okay? Look at this. And, and well, I say that, there are some groups within the Protestant camp who actually believe that you can reach a state of, uh, of complete sanctification here on earth. The reasoning is, well, it, can you go a, a, a second without sinning? And their answer would be yes. Well, how about a minute? How about a day? And, and so there, there are groups that believe that, and yet there's a corrective also in John, the, 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 the epistle of 1 John, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So what gives? You see, if, if you're born again, you have a new center of your being. I, I don't know how else to say that. You have a new heart. You have a new, it's a new creation. That's inside. You still are walking around in the flesh. 
you got a f- some flesh, mind, and will, and emotions going on, but your center of your being has been radically transformed from death to life. Let's go back, and, and this, this is a part of, of building on this in chapter 3. That's what this second point is based on. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God? That's what you are. You are. That's a, that's a statement of being. So the new, new center of your being. And the second thing, and we just got through singing about this. Jonathan, you, you actually made a remark, and I said, yes, you're preempting what I'm going to say in my sermon. Look at this. We someday get to put away sin and be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but that thrills me. And it's not just going to heaven so I can see loved ones. Yeah, it's not just going to heaven and it's to be with Jesus, but it's that I can finally stop once and for all sinning. And so there's something happening in this verse we need to look at. We are God's children. We just saw that. That was the the statement. And I just love how the Holy Spirit inspires these authors to build. You are children of God. And now that you are a child of God, what it has appeared that you will be like, it's not here yet, but we know that when He appears, when He comes back or you go to be with Him, whichever comes first, you will be like him because you will see him as he is. Is that a wonderful promise? So what do you do in between now and then? He says it in the next verse. See, we were at chapter 3, verse 9 in 1 John. But he just told you you're a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you look forward to the appearing of Christ being like him. So what do you do in between now, today, right now, and, and until the end of your life? Everyone who thus hopes in him does what? This is not an imperative. It is an indicative. It's what you do because you're a child of God. You're looking forward to the coming of Christ to put away sin once and for all. And so because you can't stand it, what do you do? You are purifying. It's the word sanctification, made holy. You are purifying yourself just as he is pure and you're you're abiding in him. And, and it's unthinkable. Now, remember, you, you balance that tension with the fact that you sin every day, but your heart is not to sin. Before you were born again, you had no problem sinning. And you might have felt a little guilt because maybe you grew up with people who told you th- certain sins were wrong, right? So you feel guilt. But like I said a minute ago, there's a difference between guilt and conviction. And so before you were a Christian, you sinned pretty much, and you didn't really give much thought to it. You didn't have a lot of problem with sin. But now that you have a new center of your being, this is true of you if you are born again. Listen, listen. 
You hate sin. You hate it in the center of your being. You loathe it. You abhor it. You can't wait to get rid of it. You run from it. It grieves you when you fall into sin. Does that describe pretty much your life? You can't wait to see Jesus because you're going to once and for all put away that sin struggle. But in between now and then, here's the reality of it. We said new center of your being. So what's the deal with all the tension? The desires of the flesh, mind, will, emotion, our our senses, watch this, not two natures. That really is not helpful language. We've got a new nature. But that new nature, born of the Spirit, abiding in Christ, struggles with the flesh that we've still got, right? Amen or oh me? Yeah. Look what he said. It, it, is, it just explains it. Oh, Lord, thank you for giving me your word because it, it's so helpful. And he says, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do in the center of your being. How do you know that you want to do them? Because it's reality. But here's what Paul says, and go back and read the whole thing of his, the classic post-conversion, post-regeneration story of, of Paul and his struggle with sin. That's not something pre-conversion, that was post-conversion, and Brother, it was real. But he he came back to this. I delight. I have a new center of my being. I delight to do the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war. And he finally came to the conclusion, wretched man that I am. How many of you have ever had that heart thought, wretched man that I am, because you did it again. You fell into that sin again. Now, before you were saved, again, you didn't really care that much about it, but now that you're saved, you don't don't want to, and it just, it grieves you, and Lord, what's the, well, this is the deal, and Paul, thank God that his assurance was sure, and that someday he would put away those fleshly desires to sin. You no longer practice or continue in sin, and if you do as a practice, no, no real, except for guilt, no, no real conviction. The Bible says it. I don't. The Bible, well, I do because I'm saying what the Bible says. You're not born again. Number three. This should be heavy and liberating at the same time. But it's necessary. Everyone who has been born of God, we just saw the negative, you don't sin. Here's the positive. Everyone who has been born of God practices righteousness and keeps himself. Well, what does that mean? 
That looks like an incomplete sentence for some of you English teachers. I had two people ask me about it before this went to press. They're good in English. And they said, what's that? You didn't complete your sentence. And I said, well, neither does the King James. So if you're, if you're reading this, out of the ESV, which I use, it's going to say this, everyone who has been born of God practices righteousness and, and you go, go through a couple of other things, God protects him, which he does. But the King James, I think, is the, the alternate reading that really gets the thought right. If you have been born of God, you practice righteousness. You don't practice sin. You're practicing as a part of your daily life sin. And one of those things you do is you keep yourself. Paul would say it like this. You're putting off the old. That's, that's not habitually practicing sin. And you're putting on the new. That's the habitually seeking to live out because it's created in the likeness of in true righteousness and holiness. You're purifying yourself, as we saw a minute ago, as he is pure. And it grows out of regeneration. Simple question, but, you, but we, we need to get this because it is so, so important. Does not practicing right, uh, sin and practicing righteousness please God? Does it or doesn't it? Well, I had, Ed, you're the only one who said yes. I see some more nodding. This is not a trick question. Does it please God? Okay, now watch because people get this confused. Justification, when you are declared not guilty and righteous, happens at the moment you're born again. You can't do anything to make that better. And when God looks at you, He sees the sinlessness and the righteousness of His Son that has been, big word, imputed to you. Legally declared, you, you are, it is a fact, and that's what he sees. But sometimes we get confused in this, that since we already please God, that we shouldn't try to please him anymore. That is, that is not what the Bible says. In fact, let's look at a couple of places and I didn't even put one in. I, I felt like I had too many verses already. But you know, Jesus was declared at his baptism to be fully pleasing to the Father. And yet later on, you know what he said? I live my life to please him. Well, let's put it like we're not Jesus. So let's put it like this. We make it our aim, Paul says, to please him. And then he says to us, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, you just as you are doing, that you do so more. When, when my kids were young and my grandkids were younger, sometimes they would do something that they thought was really 
cool or good or that pleased me. And, and if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're familiar when your child comes up and says, watch me, right? Watch me, Daddy. Watch me, Mommy. Watch me, Pops. And so, and I'm visualizing several things, but, and so they do whatever it is that they think is so cool that you're going to be so pleased with. Like they'll try to turn a cartwheel and they'll fall down. Or they'll try to draw something and you're afraid to ask, what is that? You say, oh, that's a nice drawing. Does it please you when your kids and your grandkids do that? Yeah. Yeah. When they sin, when they do something and they're disobedient, does it displease you? Are they still your child? Are they still your grandchild? See, that's the difference between justification and sanctification. It's, we constantly, I heard a guy say this can't remember who it was, but he said, we need to live our lives out of this new center of our beings, our justification, so that our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy is the smile of God. And our greatest horror is His frown. It doesn't make us unbecome a child of God, but along the way, it pleases him when we pursue righteousness. We make it our aim. I don't know about you, but I, I, I just got to be honest. I'm, I am often disappointed with my growth in grace. Things that I've done that I knew were, were not pleasing to Him. Things that I have left undone. And that's why a minute ago I quoted kind of that great quote from John Newton. I, I just always remember that. Lord, I, I know I'm not all that I ought to be or want to be or will be when I see you. But thank God that by your grace... I am more than I used to be. And at the end of the day, what do I do? If I've blown it that day, if I've just been focused on myself and my stuff and my agenda and all that comes with that, at the end of the day, I go back to the Lord and I say, Lord, you know, all I deserve is hell, but I throw myself on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, and I thank you that I am in him. Well, what does that keep him? Oh, I just got to say this. It's a reminder. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Starts when you're young. I always look over here because I got a concentration, kind of, student. Starts with you're young, when you're young. Watch your heart, watch your heart, watch your heart with all vigilance because out of it flow the spring of life, springs of life. Be careful of old habits. Put them away. Develop new good habits. Set a guard over your thoughts and your feelings and, and your eyes. 
seeks to stop sinning and be living holiness of life. I, I've given this maybe from the pulpit marriage advice. It, it, it just goes along with us, keeping your heart, keep yourself, is what King James says. But, uh, you know, we, we just celebrated our 50, 50th wedding anniversary, and uh, that's a wonderful thing. And people have said, give us, give us one bit of advice for a lifetime that it has been a, a good run. And I've thought about it, and I've, I'll say it like this. Love, I'm going to say it personally, love her. And you can switch it around if you're a lady. Love her more than I love myself. Okay? Guard your heart that you do that. I, I have to guard my heart that I do. I, I'm so selfish. I, I have to deny myself, take up my cross, follow him daily sometimes to make sure I love her more than I love myself. But, oh, there's another thing to this. Love Jesus more than you love her. And that'll keep you from acting the way he wants you to act, living righteously, pursuing righteousness, even when that spouse is living less than what they need to be. Fourth thing. Oh my, we need to rip and run on these last two. Here it is. Everyone who has passed out of death into life, born again, loves the brothers. Oh, this is so important. Why is this so hard? Well, number one, because we're so selfish. Really. I used to have a friend who, his, his byline, love everybody. Yeah, right. Crossing. <laughs> Somebody has said to dwell above with the saints we love, that'll be glory. You know the rest. To live below with the saints we know, that's another story. Someone has said another thing. We're like porcupines on a cold night. Right, Ed? We're cold. We try to get together to keep each other warm, and we just stick each other, and we move apart. We're just prickly. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Oh, I thank God for those of you in the church. I thank God for the spiritual gifting. Well, we're all to love one another. We are. But I thank God for those who are just, you're given the gift of mercy. I love to see the gift of mercy at work. And I'm just, I'm, I wasn't given, that gift is down on my spiritual gifting stack pole, uh, but, but that's the body of Christ. I'm so grateful to so many of you that just love one another and love me and love each other here in this body of believers called Heritage Baptist Church. By the way, it shouldn't surprise you, where is it first going to show up? Come on, where's it first going to show up? Husband and wife, home, and then the church. And one last thing, please, 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 don't let what people say is love, which is not, it's kind of a syrupy, sentimental tolerance that just says okay to everything. Let's not have, the one who... The one who, and it's not easy, the one who loves you the most is the one who will tell you the most truth about yourself. 
And so sometimes we have to stand for the truth even when it's unpopular. In the context of the world in which we live, they had to do it back on Crete as well. Let's come to the last one. Uh, Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. What a great promise that is. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It goes right back to where we started, the faith that God has given you. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the victory that overcomes the world. Note again that it doesn't say you're changing the world. You're overcoming the world. In your fight against sin, you ultimately overcome, even though we do look forward to that day when we'll put it all behind. But this is a present reality for those of us who are in Christ. The classic passage that Paul gave us in Romans chapter 8, who will separate us from the love of God? Take your pick. Will tribulation? No. Not even the great tribulation could separate you from the love of God, if you happen to believe that way. You really don't happen. It can't separate you. Or persecution. People go through that all the time. Or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, etc., etc., etc. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Our faith is what overcomes the world. That goes back to assurance, the fact that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Messiah, as our Lord and Savior, so that we really can say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Oh, I... I, This is one of those sermons that's kind of heavy. I I mentioned it a minute ago. And I remember uh, when I was younger, I was... By the way, I think it's just thoroughly biblical. If it's heavy, it's just because God put it in there to be heavy. And again, it depends a lot on the person who's receiving it. And I I remember a guy telling me years ago, and I, I... I don't know the context, but it just struck me when he said, Marty, don't make people doubt their salvation. I said something like that in the middle of the sermon toward the first, and I said I would come back to it. I don't want to make you, as if I could, if you're really born again, I don't want to make you doubt that. You shouldn't, no matter what any preacher says. But I do want to make certain people doubt their dependence upon an event or, or, or a time or a faith which is a false faith. How do you know if it's a false faith? It doesn't produce fruit. There's no fruit of any of the things that we've been talking about And who do you think is the happiest if preachers don't simply go through a book of the Bible and preach out of Titus 3, 5? Who do you think is the happiest? 
I think Satan is. Satan doesn't care if you come to church. In fact, he'd like you to come to church. Yeah, he'd like you to be moral. He'd like you to do any number of things as long as you're not born again. And I think he's very joyful to have a group of people in churches all throughout this land who call themselves Christians, but they are not because they have not been regenerated. I think, I don't think he's just joyful. I think he turns backflips if they continue in that deceit. And so here's the way I view it. Okay. If I've offended someone who is a true believer by causing you a little twinge of doubt, you'll get over it. I promise you, maybe not in this life. I'm going to hate that preacher. But on the way up, during the rapture, when you've been changed totally, you'll look over and say, I'm over it. So I can live with that. But what I could never live with is to not give you biblical warnings, cautions to examine yourself, to see if you are in the faith, to see if you have been regenerated, to see if you have been born again because if someone even today came to that realization and began to cry out to God and you were saved, you were born again, hallelujah to that happening. And I have a feeling, again, going up, you too will say, thank you for just sharing the word. And what it says to us. So we'll say what John said to one of the churches in the book of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Born twice, die once. If you're born again, you'll only die once. Born once? you haven't been born again, you'll die twice. Don't let that happen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that we can just plow through and see what your word says to us about regeneration, this marvelous work. And in this month when we are thinking about getting on uh, on ramps to... Uh, taking the gospel to places where Jesus is not named. I pray even this message would stir us, would help us be a, a step further in the development of people who delight in you and declare your glory, starting in our neighborhoods and taking it around the world to the nations. And so, Lord, do your work through your Spirit, applying your word, bring about salvation, regeneration, that born-again experience where it is needed today. And in those of us who know you, help us to walk with you in, in that sense of
putting off and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and being encouraged by these words. So we give you ourselves and we make this prayer now in the name of Jesus. Amen.